Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast. NBA podcast. My name is Keith Parrish. On today's episode, Ben Golliver from the Washington Post comes on and we talk about teams that might sound the alarm early in the season if they get out to a slow start. We also talk about the inevitable tanking and the race for Victor Wimbanyama, who Ben got a front row seat for in Las Vegas last week. It's a really fun conversation. It might highlight some of those teams we talked about in our season premiere that came out on Wednesday. Some of those Eastern Conference over-under teams where, hey, if they're heading towards that under, will they pull the plug? So it's a very fun conversation. In NBA news, the preseason is winding down. We also got a little bit of resolution from the Draymond Green situation who is not going to be suspended by the team. He's merely facing a fine, which is honestly a little bit wild. Remember, if the punishment to something is a fine, that just means it's illegal for poor people. It's not actually banned if you're rich. So that was a little bit of a surprise. I feel like Bobby Portis, he weighed in with his dismay as Bobby was suspended once for eight games for punching his teammate, Nikola Miritich, in a practice that situation, Miritich ended up getting injured, but the reports were that Miritich instigated the confrontation. So, whatever reason, Steve Kerr and the organization decided not to suspend Draymond Green. He said if they face any criticisms over that being a light punishment, that those criticisms are valid. So take that for what you will. As far as the preseason wrapping up, and I think this informs the conversation that Ben and I have, the stock watch... The preseason stock market report for these teams, it's ticking up for the Wolves and 76ers who made a lot of offseason acquisitions. And it's trending a little bit down for the Blazers and Hornets who have yet to tally a win over an NBA team. Uh, that little qualifier has to be in there because the Blazers did in fact beat a non 
NBA team. But the Blazers are looking real terrible in the preseason. The Hornets, who have had a rough offseason, and spoiler, are one of Ben's teams that might panic a little bit if they get off to a slow start. Uh, the Hornets not looking really, really good. And I guess also, if you haven't heard Season 9, Episode 1 of Fastback Breakfast, where we do the Eastern Conference over-unders, I highly recommend it. Go back and listen to that. But I am feeling kind of good about some of my wilder picks in that one, especially how good Benedict Matherin looked in his last preseason game. So I feel like I'm all on board this Pacers hype train, which might be, I know it is. It's absolutely ludicrous. Anyways, if you want more daily sports pop culture and Grizzlies, well, check out the Chris Vernon show presented by Caesars Sportsbook. It is live at noon daily, Monday through Friday. Tune into GrindCityMedia.com, GrindCityMedia on YouTube, or via the official Grizzlies mobile app to catch Chris live, or download each episode daily and subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Also, by the way, this is truly the last time we will ever say it. If you want to join my negative fantasy basketball league, I posted a video about it on Twitter. I posted a video over at patreon.com slash breakfast explaining some of the rules about our negative fantasy league. But if you want to play in the international stack house of pancakes, negative fantasy basketball league, this is your final chance. Either DM me on Twitter, send me an email at fastbreakbreak at gmail.com or just sign up at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast and fill out the form we want you to play. The league is not capped. We can have as many people in as want to play. So make sure you're at that $5 tier on Patreon and sign up for the International Stackhouse of Pancakes Negative Fantasy League. All right, now let's bring on Ben Golliver. I'm joined right now by Ben Golliver. Ben, how are you doing, man? I'm doing very well, Keith. Before we get to, uh, you know, which teams are going to be falling off a cliff immediately, I wanted to know, how did your Disney World trip go, man? Because you were oh, sending me pictures. that's right. So you're... It, it felt like proof of life. You know, you were kind of reminding me you're still alive every couple of days, which was very nice. And it kind of put my mind at ease. But did you do the full NBA bubble tour? How did it go? So here's the thing. I wanted to do the Ben Golliver bubble ball uh, book tour. Right. And I, I asked so many employees if they could help me out. And, and, I, and I showed them your book, and they didn't know what I was talking about. Uh-oh. And everyone I went, I'm like, no, this is a big deal. There's this book. It was written on campus. I'm just trying to find the right room number. This is the hotel. And they're like, yeah, you got to take all these buses to get over there. I was like, oh. Um, but no, I had a great time at Disney World. Uh, you have told me many times, and also publicly, it's, it wasn't your thing. I mean, yes, you were a prisoner which is a little yeah. bit different than voluntarily going there. But you, you are, if, if anyone follows your Instagram feed, you like being out in nature. You travel lots of different places. And uh, the idea of spending your precious NBA offseason time going to a theme park that's targeted at families and children, maybe not your first choice. Well, also, it was empty at the time, and we were confined away from all the good stuff that you were probably doing. So just like yeah. the, the, the workers weren't helping you get where you needed to go, it was the reverse for us. They weren't actually letting us leave to go, right? So these were like <laughs> right. the firm boundaries and you're kind of stuck. So I don't know if I would call it a traumatizing experience. Maybe not something I would necessarily want to re- relive the same way. I have thought, you know, 10-year anniversary. Do I rent the same room, go back and just have all the good memories, try to get into that same gym where they played the NBA finals and 
you know, who knows, maybe they're going to have one of these Netflix documentaries like they're doing about the Redeem team and Jeremy Lin. Maybe they'll have one of those out by then and could do like a private viewing at, uh, you know, Disney World. I, there's there's starting to be a scenario where I could see it being worthwhile to go back. But as it stands, I still don't miss it. And I'm glad you made it back one piece. Yeah. So do you think if you did this 10 year reunion with Disney World, would you start feeling maybe a little PTSD, a little bit of stress, a little, little, little bit of breakout in a cold sweat? Like, I don't, these are not positive memories. Well, yeah, it just depends. Would I put the same getup on for the cross country flight? Like, would I have the rubber gloves that I was wearing, you know, oh, yeah, for the man. vaccine? Would I have like the full face mask looking like somebody out of Breaking Bad? You know, would I do that? I mean, <laughs> exactly how far would we go? reenacting, uh, you know, kind of the security theater. Cause I remember there was like a truck waiting for me, like an SUV waiting for me to pick me up at the airport. And I'm looking around all shifty, you know, just expecting oh, like wow. COVID to sneak up from behind me and like grab me on the shoulder. You know, it was a, it was a scary time. Cause I had been laying really low for those first couple of months. And I do think as these last couple of years have passed, uh, most people have been vaccinated. It's become very normalized to be around, uh, you know, groups of people. But at that particular moment, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people who are in the bubble, it was very weird to be, you know, even just around dozens of people at the same time, uh, you know. And I don't think you can really recreate that ten years later. Was it Hopefully. was it like a full blown Michael Bay film where it's they, they got all the rented black suburbans and guys with earpieces and everybody picking you up? Like it's, you make it sound. A little more. Uh, I know it was. It was in fact dystopian, but uh, yeah. the, the, something about the, the big SUVs, like we're now carting in here. Uh, here here's your swipe card. Uh, don't walk past this perimeter. Uh, don't look any of the players in the eye. Um, yeah, it yeah, sounds pretty I rough. Mean, that, that's kind of how it was to start. But I mean, I had planned out kind of door to door how I was going to get there, limiting my exposure risk as much as possible. So I was doing the whole thing of like no liquids before the flight. You can't use the airport, you know, uh, airplane restroom. Oh, I still no do that, Ben. Do. Oh, yeah. no, I'm, not, I'm, no, a, so, I'm like dehydrating my children on the way to Disney World. Like, listen, we're not using the airplane bathroom. Right. Uh, you know? So I, yeah, I was doing all sorts of things that I wouldn't typically do. Like I got a first class seat because they were super cheap. Nobody else was flying. And I was like, that's fewer people per square foot. Um, I had the SUV waiting at the airport. The NBA actually lined up transportation to bring us from our hotels to the bubble. So that, you know, black car situation was set up by them, but I stayed at the fanciest hotel I could find somehow thinking like, you know, this is going to be like my one night of rich privilege before I got dumped into the bubble. And, you know, sure enough, nobody was there. I felt very safe, but um, yeah, man, now that you mentioned it, I am starting to get a little tingle on my, my arms thinking back <laughs> about right. this. And uh, Let's back it up. Let's yeah. back, we don't have to, let's go somewhere safe. Let's go to breakfast. Uh, you always okay. uh, entertain us with, with your breakfast. What, what, what has breakfast been for you today? It's been protein shakes lately, man. I'm doing, I'm trying to get a, a little bit healthier of a diet after a lot of travel during uh, the playoff season this year. So I'm going two scoops of the chocolate protein powder. I've got some sort of a green powder, which I believe gives me the authority to eat no vegetables the rest of the day. I think that's sort of like the deal you make by having it early in the morning. Maybe not. Little orange juice, fresh raspberries today, the Icelandic yogurt in there for a little bit, extra protein. And then I have a, another protein bar. What's yeah, your... oh, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, skier. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all in all, I'm just trying to get as much protein and as little everything else as possible with maybe a little bit of the uh, the sugar from the fruit in there for a little boost too. It sounds like you're getting your body right in order for the grind of the NBA season, which starts in just a few days. So yeah, for this topic, for, for today's episode, I, I tasked you with the, um, to pick five teams, we'll say five teams that if they get off to a slow start, 
they're going to freak out. Which yeah. teams, if they start the season, let's say two and eight, maybe two and eight, three and seven, are going to possibly change the trajectory of their season, or are, are like they're not going to be in okay place? So I'm I've eyed some of these teams, but let, let's just start with your list, and then if I need to weigh in on a, some, I think you omitted, uh, I'll do that. Well, let's first start with why you picked this question for me. Am I a panicky person, Keith, or do you think I'm the calm, level-headed person watching, surveying all the other panic around me? I, I need to know uh, which direction I'm, I, I'm falling on I did not have – there's nothing personality-based around this. I, okay. I figured league pass rankings was taken – I figured, right. uh, you know, like I got to find a different angle. So maybe I do like disaster. I mean, I definitely focus on players who have terrible shooting nights. It's a big passion of mine. I have the oh, negative yeah. fantasy basketball league. So maybe it's more of my own personality. It has nothing to do with you. I mean, I didn't know you're panicky. I, I feel like you <laughs> seem like a person who has a lot of stuff about your life in order. Like you're, okay, you, see, you seem like you're very in control of everything. I feel like if there was a panic situation, I might reach out to you to be like, yo, how are you taking care of this? You seem very well prepared for most things. So no, it, this is a, this is a reflection of me, not you. Okay, great. Well, I've got my emergency kit over here for all these NBA teams. If any of them are panicking, just feel free to call. I'll get you back on the right track. Number one panic team. I think it's gotta be the Charlotte Hornets. And I say that because LaMelo has that uh, ankle injury, and then it's just Victor, 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 Victor all over Twitter in response. It's like, well, he's not even going to be out for that long. But when you have a preseason injury and it immediately the initial response is time to throw away the whole season, that seems like a giant red flag. And, and it was such a repeated mantra from so many people. I sort of believe in the wisdom of the crowds on that. They had a really strange summer. They fired their coach despite the big rise in the standings. Um, they bring back uh, Steve Clifford, who to me is kind of a disciplinarian type of coach. And LaMelo is like the most fast and loose guy you could ever imagine. Uh, they couldn't land Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, that that that's like the, that's the weirdest part of that coaching thing where they actually uh, hired someone else. And then Kenny said, no, uh, takes these back. He's, I'm out. And then uh, they're like, all right, well, let's just bring back Steve Clifford. Like that, yeah, he was a like, very he bizarre was like situation. Steph, Steph Curry corollary. Actually, he just put the, the Celtics down three straight games in the finals. I take it all back. I don't want to leave them. I've got to just keep hanging out with Steph in the Bay Area. Yeah, it was weird how that whole thing played out. But then on top of that, you have this horrible Miles Bridges situation. And then you also have a summer where they don't really add any talent, right? So you're looking around saying, well, what is the point of this group? Where are they trying to go? And they did want to win, I think, this season, or they do want to win this season because LaMelo's clock is somewhat ticking. I mean, you can't, it's sort of like the Trey Young situation in Atlanta a couple of years ago. You can't just lose forever when you have a, you know, a top shelf kind of famous, well-known lead guard who's had some success early in his career. They just don't have enough horses around him to get it done. And so I think that they, if they did start slow or if Mello were to miss some time or just something else goes wrong, you know, the inevitable Gordon Hayward's out for 40 games situation, um, they could just find themselves in this tank race, uh, you know, pretty quickly. I don't even know if it would be a panic situation. It would more just be like acceptance. Like, well, right. yeah, actually, Might we've had this prudent. horrible year. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm basically an anti-tank guy, but like the, sometimes you, you get Delta hand. And then you do just have to play that hand. And it seems like the Hornets, yeah, they're in a weird situation. My, my question with them has been, like, did they have big offseason plans? And then because of the Miles Bridges situation, they're like, oh, I guess we're not doing our big offseason plans. We're just going to sit and, and, no, and do I, I nothing. I think Miles Bridges was their big offseason plan. Yeah, and then okay. they were like, wait a minute, what just happened? And they're like, oh, so we definitely no plan can't give him that yeah, contract that we yeah. were going to give him. 
And so now they're just sort of like, you know, I think waiting and hoping that somehow there's a legal resolution that creates a situation where maybe they could try to bring him back. I don't know. I mean, they've been very quiet about it for obvious reasons. And I do think they would pay a big public price if they tried to bring him back. So I think, you know, Bridges, not only did he sort of ruin his own career here uh, with his alleged actions this summer, I think he really changed the direction of where Charlotte's going because to a certain degree, he's their heart, right? I mean, the, the Lamelo to Bridges lobs is sort of what gets everybody excited. He's the finisher aspect to it. He's actually, you know, kind of a, a secondary score. Uh, he kind of gives them their identity as this up and down team. And it's just not going to be the same without him. And it's also really strange. Coincidentally, I believe the last player suspended for domestic violence was Jeffrey Taylor, who was a Hornets player mm. um, a while ago. And, and yeah, it's just an awful, weird situation for the team. Um, the, the other part about like, you know, you have to keep LaMelo Ball happy. I thought one of the funniest things that the Hornets did this summer was there was like a report. I don't know if it was just an aggregated thing where it's like, LaMelo Ball is not really happy with the direction of the Hornets offseason. And then two days later, it was, Hornets signed Leangelo Ball. And I was like, that's smart. That's good work. Yeah. You gotta get- so straight, straight out of the Anacupo brothers playbook. <laughs> that's right, uh, that's, that's right. something that I was really saying the Bucks needed to do for years and years. Of course, you know, the nepotism stuff with uh, LeBron and Bronny. This is just sort of how the NBA works. I would like to see how low the bar can go because I, we can agree LaMelo is not in the LeBron and Giannis category, but he still does have enough juice to get his brother yeah. at least, you know, a, a preseason contract. Maybe even, you know, an end of the bench spot. Who knows? G League deal, something along those lines. Who's going to be the worst player who can bring a sibling along with them for the ride? I think that's what we're on the lookout for. Oh, right now. wow. That is a, uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm racking my, like, I feel. Yeah. Like if they, like, for example, if they signed Terry Rozier's cousin, you'd be like, what is happening? I mean, this I is. I mean, Terry this Rozier's is, pretty good. I mean, he's a pretty good he player. Is, but, pretty solid player. But like. If his cousin wasn't NBA quality and he just showed up and it was like, Kevin Rogier is here. Uh, we just got to keep Terry happy. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there would be a public backlash on that. Whereas everybody's yeah. just sort of doing what yeah. you're doing with, with Leangelo. And it's like, well, no matter how many clips there are of him airballing shots during the preseason, you know, there's the Facebook show that they were on. People know who this guy is. You know, when he goes to summer league, everybody cheers for him. He's like this big, like fake celebrity. Thank God he didn't get stuck in China with the stolen sunglasses. Like there's a whole <laughs> narrative around him. That's at least uh, defensible. Whereas I think if you lowered the bar slightly on that main player, you you'd start to get some real pushback because remember like Michael Jordan had his GM, had his son playing for the team for a while. I mean, they've had yeah. some previous incidents of, not looking very far outside the family tree to fill out the. Box. I mean, does does Jalen Brunson count for getting his dad Rick Brunson hired? I don't know if that like maybe Rick Brunson on his own accolades could have been named coach of the Knicks, but most people are connecting the 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 dots there, where it's like, all right, th- that was a way to get uh, Jalen Brunson offseason acquisition. Yeah, I mean, when when the Knicks bring in Leon Rose and you hear like power agent, like this guy is like rubbing shoulders 10 or 15 years ago with like LeBron and Dwayne Wade and like he's in the mix and his biggest move of the summer is to hire his buddy's son. Yeah, it's a little bit of I mean, not even a little bit. It's just a letdown. And I like Jalen Brunson, but I don't like him enough to sort of defend that as, you know, the entire regime's like, you know, purposeful strategy and a great payoff. So um, I actually think the Knicks are going over on the over under this year. I'm going a little bit against conventional wisdom there um, because I think they're going to try and they're going to feast on all these teams that are tanking. Uh, but I don't know if that justifies turning your entire franchise over to a guy whose biggest pull is Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So Hornets is your first team. What's your, what's your next team? 
it's got to be my hometown Portland Trailblazers. You know, I don't live up there anymore, but I've been hearing a lot of concern chatter from the fans. They're already panicking. And I think if the fans panic in October, it's a good sign the organization might panic in November and December. I don't know if you've seen their results, Keith, but they're getting smoked in the preseason by everybody. I mean, they got killed by the Sacramento Kings. They got beat pretty bad by the Utah Jazz. They got beat horribly by like the Golden State Warriors third stringers. Um, and, you know, Draymond wasn't around for obvious reasons. And they're still getting just absolutely drilled. I mean, they made James Wiseman uh, look like a future all-star Hall of Famer uh, in their preseason game. And you look at the roster, they've got some really interesting pieces on paper. You could almost talk yourself into it, but it doesn't seem like they've really coalesced together around this, you know, like uh, new chemistry or work ethic in terms of like, you know, collective uh, experience, you know, not making unselfish plays for each other, not playing super hard. And their front line is just perilously thin. And it's so reliant upon Yusuf Nurkic. And he's okay. Uh, he's never been great. He's never been able to stay healthy. And if he goes out, they're playing guys you have absolutely never heard of. And I think that it's just a very you know thin line for them. And I think last year we learned they can't win without Damian Lillard, right? Like they just can barely yeah. win basketball games. And I think the question is this year, are they still able to win games in volume with Damian Lillard? Because he could come back, have a great season. And their defense could be so bad and their chemistry is not quite right. And their coaching schemes are off because I think there's still a lot of questions for Chauncey Billups to answer as a coach. Their front line is so shallow. They can't stop anybody. And this could very easily be a team that's well below 500, even with Damian Lillard out there playing very well. And that's not really something we've seen from Portland. Typically when he's been on the court, they've at least been solid, if not, you know, better than solid. So uh, I'm a little bit nervous for this group. You know, I'm, I'm a little scared by their preseason results. And I also think that they have this new ownership group. You know, it's the sister of the of the previous owner who passed away. She doesn't seem like she takes a real active interest in the team. Brand new front office, brand new business side executives. And, you know, you could easily see them saying, well, you know, Victor is pretty enticing. You know, we got Shaden Sharp. You know, he's a building block for the future. The Damian Lillard era is going to end eventually. Why don't we try to play for the future a little bit more? And maybe it's not a full tank, but it's like a late season tank. I could see them going that direction. Yeah, I have the Blazers close to number one on my list. I, I do think they're the team. If they start two and eight, you have to you have to think about what's your contingency plan. You got to do something. And I don't know if the Jody Allen thing, if they're into like, all right, we can trade away these people. I saw like a thing from, I don't know wh wh which magazine reported it or wh who reported it that like Wimbenyama could add $500 million in value to a franchise <laughs> type thing. Maybe that would be the convincing argument, but they do seem like a team where if it's, if the wheels are coming off early, they start, I don't know if they're, is it a fire sale? Is it Damian Lillard to find him a location? I don't even know who like the, um, who the buyers for a Damian Lillard would be like, you know, I think the, the aforementioned New York Knicks, I think would be right, at the top of but, the list. Yeah. You know? But yeah. Still, like, what are they going to even, what, what does that deal look like? Um, yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly that the Blazers are an interesting team this year where whatever happens league wide, a lot of it could be a fallout over them being bad. Just if the Blazers are bad. All right. Now we're moving pieces around. Damian Lillard finally decides, all right, I wanted to be the noble hometown hero who brings the title, who plays the same spot his entire career. But I think he'd be pretty self-aware enough that like we're bad again. And you know, I'm not going to win a title. This, this year. isn't super fixable. Yeah. yeah and I'm yeah, running I mean, out I of think, options. I think he's good. 
I think he's going to be there for this full season. Uh, but I think past that, it's you know kind of an open question. We'll see how this year goes. There is a um, a shared you know common bond here, a shared thread between the Portland Trail Blazers, the Utah Jazz, and the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, those are three teams in the Western Conference, all super small market, but all organizations that have typically punched above their weight by making the playoffs year after year. Now, obviously, San Antonio is doing it at a different level than Utah. And Utah has probably recently been doing it at a different level than Portland, right? But all three of those teams typically have had very engaged fan bases. Uh, they've you know, been a good return for their ownership groups because they've been run well and, and have gotten themselves into the postseason way more often than not. All three of those teams now potentially are on shaky ground. I mean, I think San Antonio is going to be the worst team in the league. Utah is probably like, no, no, no. We want to be the worst team in the right. league. And I'm not sure Portland's as bad as those teams, but – they could all three of these teams could find themselves in this small market cycle that Oklahoma City's been stuck in, where you can't take that consistent winning that you built up for granted. You know, you need to have the foundational star pieces to be able to win like that in the modern NBA. And it's really hard to do if you can't land free agents and if you can't really get, you know, big name guys to come to you by trade. So um this is a little bit bleak on Portland's behalf, but I think it's warranted right now, unfortunately. Well, also the, the way the league's going, where there really aren't that many free agents, where it's become basically the modus operandi of the front offices, just you lock up everybody with an extension. If they're any good, you basically give them an extension. You worry about it later. And thus you see these teams every offseason, it's like, oh, we have salary cap space. Who's the best guy available? And it's like, no one's available. It's Jalen Brunson. You know, <laughs> like, like you get these right. things. All-stars don't free up anymore. And again, that's why, despite the fact that I don't like it, that's why... These teams have decided we're going to build through the draft because if you don't draft them, you're basically you're basically not getting them. Can we let's talk about the draft one second and let's talk about this. Thing. You got to see Victor. You you were out there in Vegas for Victor and Scoot. I did and and it was spectacular and everyone's like, oh my goodness, that is a different level of basketball player and this could change our franchise for ten years if we get them. And so because of the lottery system, you now have at least I think bare minimum you got six teams who are in it to win it. Like they are probably not even an attempt to compete from day one of the regular season. Uh, and there might be, depending on these teams we're talking about, like the Hornets or the Blazers or some other teams we, we might mention, who, depending on the first 10, 20 games, might say, hey, you know what? We're out too. Um, and yep. then you might have a third of the league, and this happened a few years ago, where, I, I, but before they flattened the lottery odds, where I was like, this is a problem. Like if, if, <laughs> if teams elect not to participate in the sport like that's that's a problem you know the the idea of tanking only works if most teams are trying to win basketball games and so it's really weird i feel like i have the fix and i i, I don't know why more league governors or whatever aren't interested in trying to incentivize winning i know you've been the commissioner knows who you are okay he knows your name all right I feel like you I've might have the. I feel like you might have the to, juice, just to slip him a note. I, well, I mean, he I, likes to do the first name basis thing, Keith. So you know, you just got to find yourself in the right circle, and then he'll start saying, you know, call me Adam. That's like his big thing. He really wants to be personable. So I wouldn't count yourself out, as what I'm saying. If you really have the solution to tanking, first of all, he might see it on this video, and second okay. of all. Um, I, I wouldn't hold back from just emailing it to his office, man. You've got the, I, you've got gonna, the direct so I, line. I honestly thought, here's, here's, here's my plan to get this into the right hands. I know Mark Cuban checks okay. his email. I've been waiting to okay. maybe just drop the, my one Mark Cuban email. I also like the Grizzlies team president knows my name. 
And I thought if there's okay. ever a moment, I just pull them aside and be like, hey, here's, here's a, two bullet points. Um, just read this, pass it along. I think we can fix the NBA. Um, but Well, here's the great thing for the Grizzlies, that they're yeah. now in the category of teams that are like, oh, yeah, we've got to get rid of the scourge of tanking, as opposed to being a team that could potentially benefit it because they've drafted so well they don't need to do it again for the next seven or well, eight years. Well, we got years. lucky. So you, sh- you should be – you should force feed these teams that are on the high horse, man. I think you're on the right strategy. I'm just saying the Grizzlies got lucky and through no action of their own, they were given John Morant. Okay. All right. They were, they tried to win. They tried to make the playoffs. They traded multiple second round picks for Justin holiday in a season. They ended up with a horrible record. Like they did not do the modern NBA front office thought process of like, listen, we're not going to be good. Don't, don't spend your resources chasing after bad money. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to trade picks for a guy who's not even going to play because the coach doesn't like playing him. Then, and, and all of that ended up with them getting John Morant. So, like, the, the world is random. My, my dream for this year's of tanking is the seven teams with 18 wins all get passed by the Washington Wizards on lottery night. The Washington Wizards who are going to attempt to win 35 games this year. But I'm like, here's what I think you should do. And I've said it many times, and I'm repeating myself again. Right now, the lottery order is set by the total number of losses. You get the most losses, you get to beat the top of the lottery order. I like the flattened odds. I like the fact that if nine teams all have the worst record, there's going to be a weird lottery drawing to see who gets the top five spots, and there's going to be another lottery drawing, and you essentially, it's going to be like, well, it's like a 90% chance you don't get Victor Wimanyama. There's like a 70% chance you don't get Victor or Scoot. So, like, it, that's tough there. I just think instead of the lottery order being set by the number of losses, it should be set by the number of times your team beats a team with a better record than you record based on the date of the game. And instead of us going to tankathon and looking at the losses and it being ranked by losses, it would be ranked by, Hey, the Orlando magic have ups have beaten three teams with the better or the same record than you. If you're a, if you're a good team, you're incentivized obviously to win. Cause you're like, I don't want this team to get a lottery, you know, whatever you want to call them a lottery point or whatever the standings are at the very least it incentivizes you to win. Every game, if you're truly terrible, if you're like a 15-win team because you don't have the talent, well, guess what? Every one of your 15 wins probably came against a better team. And so anytime you win, your fans are excited. You don't have to be like conflicted if you're a fan of the Pacers where you're like, hey, Halliburton's pretty good. Ben Matherin had a great preseason. I'm not sure we're supposed to win. Yeah, like I'm not sure we're supposed to win. It's a messed up place for fans to be put in. Like they've been put in a strange place where you've incentivized the losing. I also think, you know, Adam Silver's all like, we got to do this uh, midseason tournament to get people excited about the regular season. If you just had like, if part of the broadcast was, hey, guess what? The Thunder and Magic are playing for a spot in the lottery tonight where the winner actually gets a lot. Like, it'll change the lottery standings. Like, I feel like I don't see the downside. The only downside I can envision is like, what if some nefarious GM like Sam Presti tanked the first 10 games of the season? So he's like, all right, listen, now I'm down here. My, my pushback to that is, well, he still has to win games. He still has to win games later in the year. And it's not any worse than what we have right now, which is like the weird, hey, it's, it's March. And the Pistons and wh- whoever it is, the Pistons and the Thunder are both trotting out guys who aren't going to be in the NBA uh, next year because they're trying to lose the games. Well, that's what I was going to say is it seems like your solution is pretty elegant in cleaning up the absolute worst of the regular season games that we get where, you know, February, March, April, between two teams that are both trying to lose and they're both racing to see how many G League guys they can call up for that particular game. Right. And it's just like a complete joke. 
mean, I went to some late game, late season Thunder games last year, and they were playing some of their guys like 46 minutes. You know, it's just they're just trying basically hey. to, uh, yeah, just you know, do and, things and like, that you, you are can't even argue development. Realm. All those guys are, are not on the team anymore. Like Tail right. Maladon's gone. You know, like <laughs> Isaiah Roby's gone. Like, it, like the idea of it being for development is a farce. Where it's like you're not actually playing your developmental guys. You're not. Like it's, it's, it's so weird to me. Like, and you had the Blazers who lost whatever it was 20, of the last 21 games. And you had the Pacers who just shut it down last year. And Rick Harlow's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's give up 140 every night. Just seems like you could fix that where the end of the year, instead of you struggling with even season ticket holders, like the, the teams are losing money. The season ticket holders are losing money. They can't like sell their tickets or anything The the TV broadcast, no one's watching them. If it became like it amps up the end of the season, and then you get the fun stuff where it's like, hey, the Clippers have locked up their playoff seed. They might rest some guys. This is a winnable game for, you know, whoever it is. This is a winnable game for the Jazz tonight. They have a chance to get one of the, like, to move up in the lottery if I've been the Clippers. Like, I don't, I don't see the downside. It seems like it would be a, a, a jolt, a needed jolt for, I don't know, turning the sport into an actual sport. If teams don't try to win, it's not sports. Sorry. I hear you, man. I hear you. <laughs> it definitely grinds my gears, too. I think if I was the NBA league office, all things considered, I would take a step back from, you know, the, the Las Vegas uh, situation last week. And I would just, I think I would tell myself, he really is a generational prospect. We overuse that term. It seems like we have a generational prospect every two years. We don't, you know, we have a generational prospect every 20 years, basically it's Jordan, LeBron, and, and now potentially Victor, I, I would put into this category, just being the craziest, best most incredible basketball body at, you know, age 18 that I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. If I was Adam Silver, I think my takeaway would be, it does not matter what our setup is. Even if we enacted like emergency legislation around this year's draft, there are, like you said, six or seven teams that would find whatever loophole they could possibly find to make sure they're in position to grab this guy. And I don't know that it's an annual problem. I do think that this year is going to be significantly worse than some other recent past years. And I think the pandemic played a role in some teams thinking, you know, in terms of if they can't even sell tickets, why, you know, bother chasing late season wins? Let's just shut it down and play for uh, draft lottery balls. Now that arenas are back open, we're back on the normal schedule. I do think we're going to get to a more normalized reality here as we go forward, you know, past the Victor draft. Now, the one exception to that could be the year if they do a double draft, if they allow the high school kids right. in. So you have like just an insanely loaded lottery for that one year. That could also lead to some shenanigans. But um, I guess if I was the NBA, I would really be trying not to overreact to the Victor frenzy in terms of legislating solutions, because I really do think this is going to be kind of like a once in 20 year phenomenon. That's just me personally sure. coming away from those two games in Las Vegas being like, I have never seen anything like that. I feel like what the old guys uh, used to say about Kareem when he was at Power Memorial, you know, back in the uh, day, yeah, you read these stories yeah. of like greatest high school player ever. That's kind of how I felt coming out of that gym. And there hasn't been a Kareem every year since, right? I got gotcha. you. Well, let's, let's, I, I got distracted. I'm sorry. I'm very passionate. Um, let's, uh, let, let's real quick, let, let's, let's pump out your final, uh, your final few teams that are going to panic and maybe, do something that they uh, they might change directions based on a slow start to the year. Well, the other one that I think is going to be in this mix would be Washington. You know, uh, I don't like this Bradley Beal Porzingis pairing. It really doesn't make sense. I've seen it described as intriguing. I don't know <laughs> what the intrigue is. Maybe you could help me with that. It's like, do they make each other better on either end or do they make each other worse on both ends? I guess that's my open question. 
And, you know, they made a bunch of other moves. I mean, Monte Morris, Will Barn, like they've got some new, uh, you know, pieces in there. But Beal's track record of injury, Porzingis's track record of injury, it seems like this could be one where they just kind of stumble into a tank. And, you know, historically, Washington has always tried to avoid that, right? Like they've been up there with Michael Jordan as some of the biggest, or even the Pacers too, as some of like the biggest intentional or anti-intentional tankers in the NBA. But I could see them, you know, coming to a crossroads in February where some of their guys are injured. It's not really working out that well where it becomes in their interest to kind of slide. So maybe that's not quite a panic situation, but I do think if fully healthy, this team would be talking itself into a big run at the Eastern Conference play-in, trying to sell progress, trying to take a step forward with Wes Unsell Jr., trying to make that gigantic Bradley Beal contract pay off, You know, try to have something to show for like the last four or five years of spinning their wheels. And I think that scenario is still in play for them, but if everything doesn't go right, there's not much separating them from the dregs, I guess, in my opinion. And when you do look at like entertainment value or league pass rankings, I mean, they've got to be in your bottom five, man. Like what's <laughs> yeah. the case, you know, for them to be higher than that. And I do think that might play a role here too. It's like, if your fan base, you know, starts to tune out a little bit, not showing up in big numbers at the home stadium, it gets to be easier, you know, as a front office to say, you know, this is only going to be a two month experiment. Let's just run it into the ground a little bit because the payoff could be 15 years of sellouts and, you know, a guy who's worth 500 million, like you're describing. Yeah. You got to, at some point you, you can sell the idea of hope to your fan base. And that is a, a profitable uh, decision. I, I can't get fired up for the wizards. I'm proud. I, I don't think they're going to panic. I think they're going to stick to their guns. I think they're 33, oh, yeah? 30, 33 to 36 wins or, or bust. Um, what's, what's your next team? Well, on that point though, I do think there is kind of a smart bet to be made on the over-unders for teams that do stick to their guns. Like to me, the Knicks are going to stick to their guns. Like, you know, the Sacramento Kings are going to stick to their guns. If everybody else is trying to lose, there's going to be more free wins this year than the average year. And so to kind of clear that bar at 36 wins or 37 wins, whatever those teams are expected to do, like those are the teams that I would be betting the over on because, uh, you know, you're describing exactly what's going to happen in March and April where the thunder and the, and the magic and, and the rockets are going to be putting out crazy lineups and you got to be feasting on those teams if you're a team like Washington or New York. I, I felt that, but then we did our, our Eastern Conference over-unders earlier this week, and their over-under was like 36 and a half. And I'm like, oh, that's already Ooh. baked in. That's already baked oh, in. Yeah. Like, Because like the, the Vegas knows they're going to be getting some free yeah. wins because I'm like, that number's too high. It made me nervous. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I hear you. Well, here's a, here's a different flavor of panic okay. for you. Yes. Um, Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, got to be. Uh, um. I mean, they should have panicked more this summer. Uh, let me just say, like, I had the emergency kit ready for them. Like, whatever it takes, trade Russell Westbrook. It does not matter what the return is. Just get it done. They weren't able to do it. They came out with this long, passionate defense at Media Day about how the, the, the trading the first-round picks has to be for the right deal. You can't just, you know, further mortgage the future. They want to be committed to LeBron, but, it, you know, they want to get themselves back into the contender conversation. Newsflash, I don't see any trade, any trade, even involving both their first round picks that get them back into that contender conversation. And I mean, you're already seeing it with these videos, you know, popping around yesterday from preseason where Westbrook's not in the huddle, Westbrook's not during you know, with the team during the pregame warmups. And of course, his side's going to come and defend him. No, actually, he was for part of it. It's like, come on. I mean, we know he's not fully invested in this group. We know he doesn't agree with how they're going to use him compared to how he's been used his entire career. We know how horribly it went last year where he's getting booed 
by his hometown fans, some of them wearing his jersey at the home arena. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever even seen that in the NBA. It was just a toxic mess. And I do think that LeBron proved last year he's willing to kind of check out, you know, if if things aren't going well. Anthony Davis is a guy who said all the right things about wanting to stay on the court, but he's got to prove it at this point. Um, you know, lower back tightness seems to be a recurring issue for him. And, uh, you know, I stretch it out. Like, let's get out there and play <laughs> some basketball, Anthony Davis. So uh, I just think this could, and, you know, their offseason was not good. I mean, I actually think that their supporting cast probably got worse. The only way it maybe got a little better is that Kendrick Nunn is back after playing no games last year. So that's a little bit of an upgrade, but still you're grasping at straws. Uh, I don't think they're going to have enough shooting. I don't think they, you know, their starting lineup really has two quality starters in it. That kind of says it all. The problem with the panic stuff is they can't race to the bottom because they don't own their pick. How funny would it be if they landed the number one pick yeah. and it goes to new Orleans and the yeah. swap? I mean, that would be crazy. Yeah. So I guess the panic would be, you're just going to give up Westbrook and the draft picks and settle for a trade that makes you marginally better this year and a little bit happier in the locker room. And I could definitely see that happening so here in the not too distant future. I, I actually already wagered um, at, at like very uh, long odds, not very long odds, but it was like plus 250 for the Lakers to miss the playoffs, which I think is a very yeah. reasonable proposition. But then oh, if yeah. they miss the playoffs, we're talking about like, there's just, there's just, if they, if they finish like the 11th or 12th worst record, that's like a solid six or 7% chance. They give the, the, the Pelicans like the, this generational star you're talking about. Um, this might be a controversial opinion. I have, uh, people in Russell Westbrook jerseys booing him. I feel like if you own the Jersey of the player, you're allowed to boo them. It's very similar where if I get like something negative in my replies on Twitter and then I see that person follows me, I'm like, Oh, all right. You know what? I, I'll like, I'll, I'll give you one. Like you can't go over the line, but if I'm like, that was kind of an annoying response. Hey, they follow me at least. So that's cool. All right. You know what? It's all right. Um, if someone doesn't follow me, well, I'm gonna mute them. Like, yeah, if I'm not, if not, if I'm not wearing a Russell Westbrook Jersey, I, I shouldn't be booing him, but if I'm invested with the Jersey, maybe a little more leeway. I love the philosophy that you're laying out here. I think you're overthinking it. I think anyone has the right to boo Russell Westbrook for how last season went. Like, <laughs> okay, period, I, I, no conditions fine. whatsoever. I mean, it was tough. I, I watched a lot of those games in person, and it was demoralizing, man. I can't imagine being one of his teammates or even being him. You know, it was a tough spot for him to be in, too. I'm not trying to make him like the punching bag for the entire Lakers situation. Um, but it clearly was not working, and they didn't solve the problem. And that's the biggest problem. And I do think that... As the summer drags on, you can try to talk yourself into let's run it back, maybe a couple change a couple pieces, it'll work out. I just don't see this as something that can be worked out. And that's where I think the panic is going to come in because they're not going to want to live that same experience for two full years. I mean, you know, if he's going to start getting booed, let's say in November, which is totally possible, what happens by the time February rolls around? People are just going to be over it, you know, especially when you have that day-to-day -day scrutiny um, like the Los Angeles Lakers face. Yeah. I mean, if they, for me, they're the number one team on this. If they start two and eight, they will do something. They will unload the yeah. picks for, for something. It might not be good. Um, you want to do one more team? I've, we've gone long. I apologize. But uh, no, we've got to punch out one more. Uh, all the time in the world. Give me yours. Give me all yours. Right. Give me yours. So I've already done. I agree with you on Lakers. I agree with you on Blazers. I have three other teams we haven't mentioned. I'm going to say um, it's boring because it's mainstream. But if the Nets start two and eight, yep. after Kevin Durant asking for his GM and coach to be fired, something's going to happen. Uh, I don't know if panic's the right word, 
But I think Kyrie's going to be like, you know what? I don't like playing that this much. I'm out. Uh, you know, or, yeah. some, or, or Ben Simmons is going to be like, listen, I'm very upset that people filmed me airballing a jumper at the park the other day. Um, I'm not into this anymore. So yeah, I He's feel like I've like, given an extensive interview about that. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, first of all, kudos to the Nets beat for just being Johnny on the spot with it and getting like his instant reaction. But yeah. he gave paragraphs and paragraphs of a self-defense on an air ball at a charity event. You know, it's like, what is happening? Um, also, Kevin Durant, very ominous quote. I'm not here to babysit anyone when asked about Ben Simmons. Well, how do you Love read it. that? You know, Love I mean, it. that's not great. Love it. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, that, I, I, that I, would I probably be my, my number one that we haven't mentioned. I can see the, I can see the panic, uh, possibilities as well. The problem is they're boxed in, aren't they? I a mean, aren't they, isn't this a team that sort of like made its bed and they've laid in it? Like what's Ben Simmons's trade value right now? Not great. What's Kyrie Irving's trade value right now? Not great. Right. I mean, maybe you could re-engage with the Lakers. The Lakers seem like the one team sort of desperate to take on the Kyrie, um, experience uh but you know are you going to do a mid-season trade of kevin durant they were having a hard time finding anyone interested in paying a premium price for durant during the offseason i think it's even harder to make that kind of trade during the season i feel like the panic move really is to fire nash which you know joe Sy, their owner came out over the summer and very strongly defended Nash and, uh, you know, GM Sean Marks amidst these reports that KD wanted both those guys gone. That's a good owner move. It's also a classic thing I do six months before I fire my coach move. Yeah. And we could get to January and Steve Nash is the one who kind of takes the hit for all this. Yeah. I, um, I'm weirdly optimistic about the Nets, but I think it's, I don't know what's, it's born out of nothing. Just, just stu- might be stupidity. Yeah. Blind optimism. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm so far out on the Nets, I couldn't be further out, which is crazy because you know how I feel about KD and the respect I have for his yeah. game. It's just, it's like if you want to like build this, you know, beautiful franchise around Kevin Durant, just do the exact opposite of what Brooklyn's done for the last four <laughs> years, and you'll get there. Um, do Do you have another team, or were the? Did you want to just? No, end, I'm ready for your all... last two. I'm, oh, oh, I Bulls and Knicks. Yes, Bulls yeah. and Knicks. Where oh. the, they they filled. I, I don't know about the. If the Knicks, the Knicks start two stopping. and eight, I think Tibbs is on the hot seat, and maybe it's not. A, maybe it's not a, a panic move, but I feel like two and eight's not going to go over in New York. And I don't know if they dig the hole deeper, uh, or if mm. they do suddenly reach out and be like, "Listen, we will trade picks for Ben Simmons or some other distressed asset." Oh, I mean, like, what if they did something <laughs> weird? I mean, uh, or if they start two and eight, like, are they going to try to dump fire sale Julius Randle? Are the Lakers going to talk themselves into a Julius Randle can play the five alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron to the three or something weird? So I feel like if the Knicks go poorly, I don't know if they're going to stick to their guns. Very interesting. Uh, I think, first of all, I don't think the Knicks are going to go that poorly. I think they might okay. be. I know you've already said you're optimistic. A little optimistic. bit of a bounce back yeah. season. Well, you know, some of it is just sort of about like splitting the baby, right? It's like Randle was amazing two years ago, horrible last year. Truth's probably somewhere in the middle. Nick's defense was pretty darn good two years ago, pretty bad last year. Truth's probably somewhere in the middle. And if they can just land somewhere in the middle, um, they should be a 38 win team. Somewhere That's probably in the middle. Enough for every, yeah, probably enough for everybody to kind of get along um, and, you know, call it progress. You know, just push all these, you know, very fundamental problems, you know, back another year. I don't think RJ Barrett's great. I think uh, Jalen Brunson is good, not great. I think he's going to have a whole lot harder time scoring in New York 
because the spacing is not going to be as good as it was in Dallas. I mean, so much of what made Jalen Brunson go was that five out lineup where there's just all this room for him to go one-on-one. They've got centers that don't shoot. Randall's going to have to prove that he can be a shooter again. That could be a lot of bodies in the paint and not as much room for Brunson really to operate. So I have some concerns about them for sure. I don't think they're going to be like lighting the world on fire by any stretch, but I do think that Thibodeau is going to be one of these guys chasing wins when what the franchise really should be doing is just they should have gone the other way with it and, and played the draft game and they haven't done that. So, um, uh, yeah, I think they're going to be out of this this combo. But what about Chicago? Because I think that they're on a slippery slope more than people might realize. Yeah, I yeah, I think so, just because they they're, they're old They're uh, You know, you, you got you got DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic. And it's like if it doesn't go well and even I think it going well for me right now has them in the play in. I think there are mm. six teams comfortably better than the Bulls. And, uh, you know, I, I'm I guess I can sort of see the oh, we're optimistic about Patrick Williams or something. But it's like it seems like they're trying to choose between him and Javante Green. And they don't even know who that four is going to be or who's going to be in the rotation. I like some of their pieces, but like I'm not expecting a huge ceiling for like Ayo Desunmu and you know, the other pieces. Yeah. It's like, I don't, and he's their starting point guard. Yeah, I'm like this and, team you know, healthy Patrick, well, for me. Isn't as good as the other East teams. And this is probably your peak of DeRozan for his career. Maybe he'll have a very long career where he keeps not dropping off with age, but it's like Vucevic and DeRozan aren't getting any better. And like, could Levine, could that be someone that you trade if things are going terribly, if you, if you can cash him in for a, a big, draft pick bounty. And then I don't, I, you know, I don't know what the other options are as far as like, would they have to embrace a, a tear down there? Cause they don't want to be whatever it is the 10th seed or the ninth seed and you know, a do or die to, to end up as the eighth seed in the playoffs. Well, they're such a weird team because the sumo goes from this great story, like overachieving rookie energy guy to starting point guard. Yeah. Patrick Williams goes from like future franchise player to like, now he's probably not in the starting lineup. Like what? Like, you know, what, what direction are these, uh, you know, ships going right now? And then the analytics guys look at Chicago as kind of easy money to regress because DeRozan was such a ridiculously good shooter last year, especially from the mid range, obviously, but in late game situations, hitting game winners that they really overachieved what their kind of like benchmark win losses should have been by getting to 46 wins. And so, you know, I think the analytics guys probably view that more as like closer to a 500 type team last year. Right. And so, if you don't have Lonzo Ball, who's that key defensive piece, if all three of your main guys, Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, are not defensive players and don't really complement each other that well, these are big problems. And if you don't get off to that amazing start like they had last year, they were very pedestrian the rest of the way, and they got absolutely smoked in the playoffs. I'm glad you mentioned Levine. Quietly one of the worst contracts handed out this summer. He got paid for his all-star campaign from two years ago when there was no fans in the stands and he went absolutely nuts and kind of had a great year. Him and Randall both got paid basically uh, off their performances from that year. Levine was not particularly good last year and he hasn't made a ton of progress defensively. He still has the blinders on offense. He's a pretty much a one dimensional scorer and he's getting paid, you know, basically superstar money. And I think it's very similar to that Bradley Beal conundrum in Washington, where if you pay a guy who's, a borderline all-star superstar money, you're not going anywhere. You know, that's, that's a great way to kind of cripple your flexibility and put a, a hard cap on your, you know, a ceiling on, on where you can get as a franchise. And so 
um, you know, to me, you add it all up. I definitely see Chicago kind of, you know, falling back to earth. And I don't know exactly how they would disassemble this one. You know, it, it could be tricky because do you want to rush into a teardown right after you've been trying to spin this as the buildup process under Arturis? I mean, for Arturis, he would be undoing his own moves, right? Because yeah. he paid yeah. Levine, he traded for Vucevic, and he went out and got to Rosen. So it's always easy for a GM to undo his predecessor's move. Is he going to admit mistakes on any of his own big moves? That's, you know, usually takes a little bit longer for that to set in. So I could see a scenario where, like you said, Chicago's like on the bottom part of the play in this year. They're just in denial about it. It's not a disaster, but they're clearly going the wrong direction. And then maybe next year is the one that's like a really painful year. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough situation with the Bradley Beals and the Zach Levines where, that's just, it's kind of like, that's just the price. Like, what are you going to do? Not keep your player. And I don't know, you know, you and me, Ben, you know, we're, we're Lego fiends. If Lego has the set you want, and Lego's like, Hey, guess what? Prices are going up. Literally the price of the brick goes up. What are we going to do? Not buy it. (laughs) So it's like, what do you, I I got sympathy for the bulls. The price of the brick goes up is the next Lego tagline. I love that. It went up, man. I understand why they paid him. Yeah, I understand why they paid him. I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say is just the value you're extracting from that deal. Those are the tough ones that really, you know, back you into a corner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for Washington, if, you know, or I guess for Chicago, if they wind up living the Washington Wizard experience here over the next couple of years, where, you know, John Wall eventually has to kind of be traded off. And then, you know, Beal, it's, he's trying to be the main guy. It's not really working. It's all a little bit disappointing after they had, you know, thought they were going uh, you know, the playoff route for a couple of years there, I could see that just kind of playing out in a very similar fashion. And the other thing about the Bulls is they got beat at their own game. Man. You know, they went out there and made that trade, a couple of draft picks to grab Vucevic. They think they're really loading up. Atlanta goes and grabs Murray. Cleveland goes and gets Mitchell. Uh, Minnesota goes and gets Gobert. All those teams got better players. Obviously, they paid more than uh, Chicago did for Vucevic. Uh, but they all got better players, and especially in the East, when you've got Cleveland and uh, Atlanta on the rise, they're going to pass Chicago this year. Both those teams are, and both those moves make more sense long term, based on Mitchell's age and Murray's age, than the Vucevic move made for uh, Chicago. So, to me, it feels like they went a little bit too aggressive, you know, all in too early, and it's going they're going to be paying for it here the next couple of years. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. Um, well, Ben, thanks so much for your time, man. Always a pleasure to talk basketball with you and, uh, everyone out there, go check out the greatest of all talk podcast. And uh, I look forward to the next time where you come on. Yeah. Greatest of all talk. And, uh, don't forget washingtonpostcom slash sports. All the NBA preview stuff you need is there. Uh, thanks for having me, Keith. Take care, man. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thanks to Ben for coming on and for being very gracious with his time. Remember, if you want to play in the negative fantasy league, go to patreon.com slash breakfast. If you join our Patreon, you also get access to exclusive bonus videos. You can join our Slack where we talk about sports and basketball and movies and whatever else around the clock. You also can submit your questions to be answered on air as part of the croissant questionnaire. A lot of benefits. Plus, of course, you just support the creation of this show. Remember to stay connected and follow at MimGrizz and at Grind City Media across all social channels, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for breaking news, one-of-a-kind content, and all the perspectives you won't find anywhere else. You can follow me on Twitter at FastBreakBreak. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing.
yeah, never apologize for being G and G. Fast break, break, man. You understand? Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.